As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. The world is full of magic and wonder, if you know where to look. And I'm obsessed with looking for it. I'm Simon Sinek, and I host a podcast called A Bit of Optimism. Each week, I have a short conversation with someone who inspires me or teaches me something about life, leadership, and other curious things. I hope you'll join me on the journey. Listen to a bit of optimism on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Julian Edelman from Games with Names, and we're on a search to find the greatest games of all time with the players and coaches who lived in them. Ever wonder what a locker room feels like at a halftime of a Super Bowl? Or what about the, the after parties? We're going to dive deep into the most iconic games with the most iconic people. New episodes dropping weekly. Listen to Games with Names on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Black Information Network and six-time Emmy-nominated news anchor Vanessa Tyler welcome you to Blackland, a podcast about the ground on which the black community stands right now. From stories about salvation and loss. I loved a person who had an HIV diagnosis. To dreams achieved or yet unfulfilled. From people who have made it. I sat down with a therapist and I began my journey. To those left behind. Listen to Blackland on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey there, fellow 20-somethings. It's your girl, Sydney Winter. And guess what? The wait is finally over. Season four of Crying in Public is here, and I'm flying solo for the very first time. That's right, no co-host to rein me in, just me, myself, and the mic. From relationships to careers and all the awkward encounters in between, we're covering it all. So mark your calendars and set your reminders because Crying in Public is dropping its juiciest season yet. Listen to the new season of Crying in Public on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to the MMQB NFL Podcast. I'm Gary Grimling. And I'm Connor Orr. And Connor, we're going to talk a little bit about the back seven defenders in this NFL draft class coming up. Uh, but first, we're going to start with a trend that we've talked about on this show for a couple of years, and that is these wide receivers from the 2019 draft class, the guys who were drafted outside the first round they are going into the last year of their contracts and they're eligible for extensions and they are looking at the christian kirk to the world and saying well now it's time for us to get paid yeah and uh you know not only christian kirk but you know because he walked up the market for sort of your high-end uh, medium to high-end receivers um maybe even like your strong number two wide receivers and then uh uh, Devonte Adams, Tyreek Hill, they wonked up the market for your elite premium uh, athlete wide receivers. Um, and even though some of that is obviously phony math, I think what Tyreek Hill has that like $900 million deal a year on the back end of his contract to raise the average annual value. But like, you know, he's making $30 million a year as far as Debo Samuel is concerned. And so, yeah, um, you know, all these guys are looking at what's happening in the NFL. They're seeing the gold mine develop and 
they're seeing a bunch of general managers who are now encouraged and probably um, a lot more freewheeling in their ability to acquire players and to pay players. Uh, and so they're just like, yeah, let's go get it. And I don't blame them. I mean, this is this is the right time. This is the right time to go and get it. It absolutely is. And we're going to start with the most unusual of these cases, and that is Debo Samuel, because there, there's there's something going on here and we don't know exactly what but uh he has demanded a trade from the 49ers obviously he is going to get a new contract uh you know adam Schefter put out the report that the 49ers are very much willing to pay him uh but he seems to really have no interest in continuing on with that organization now he is interesting obviously for that reason he's also interesting as a guy who he plays a lot out of the backfield uh he takes more hits than a lot of these guys. He, he takes a different kind of uh, physical punishment on the field. And on top of that, he is a guy who came into the league with some durability concerns based on a torn ACL, based on the fact that he's not, you know, we're not talking about a 230-pound uh, dude here. Yeah. Um, it's interesting, like, you know, at first I was like, wow, he carries the ball a lot. I, I mean, it's... It's never been more than eight times a game in the regular season, but then this postseason was fairly significant. I mean, it's a 10-72, a 10 for 39, and then a 7 for um, a seven for 26. But over time, uh, right, I mean, that's 27 postseason carries, that's 60 regular season carries, um, and then the two years before that. Uh, so, I, I mean, it's 100 carries, which is not, you know, that's not an insignificant amount of times, you know, additional times you'd be touching the ball than another wide receiver. So I think if I'm another team, I'm looking at that and being like, eh, I don't know. I mean, I'd like to see the full medicals on everything here. I mean, I'd like to, uh, um, <clears throat> I'd like to know what's going on in the back end here. And 26, you know, I don't know. That's not young for a running back. Uh, it's, and if your best traits are the speed, the burst, the athleticism, the contact, which is what Kyle Shanahan loves, right? Yards after the catch, guys who love to initiate contact and get those extra yards by bowling over tight end or cornerbacks uh, and linebackers. Are you worth trading that uh, a bounty for? I don't know. It's an interesting question. That's the other thing. If you're another team, are you looking at a guy who was in probably the, well, arguably, we'll say, we'll, we'll sort of back off of this. I'll be a coward. Uh, arguably, <laughs> the best designed offense and best called offense in the NFL. Uh, are you looking at Devo Samuel and being like, yeah, that's really neat, but I don't know if our guys can also do this. Yeah. Um, I, so here's the give and take, right? Uh, I, I, people kind of would liken this maybe to like a, a Patriots receiver leaving New England, but I've never, I, I don't ever remember a time where half of the NFL was running the Patriots offense, right? And that's probably where we are, right? With Kyle Shanahan's offense, I would say about half. Do you mm -hmm. think that's right? Yeah, yeah. I'm looking it's at it's in that uh, neighborhood. I'm looking at it. I think we entered last year at like 30 or, or 40%. I mean, you have, what, half of the AFC East. Um, you have half of the AFC South. You have the a one team in the AFC West. Yeah, I mean, you know, you have half the teams in the NFC North. Um, yeah, I mean, you have a great deal of teams who are, are running this offense, and so maybe 
uh, maybe you start to think that you could fork over um, the picks and make it work because that's all you do is you study 49ers tape and you're learning the intricacies of the offense the way that Kyle Shanahan does it. Um, the one team, can I spotlight an early team? Yeah, that I think might do, do it. Please the do. Jets, right? Um, yeah. Jets are running that offense. You have John Benton and you have uh, LaFleur, uh, Mike LaFleur from the 49ers, right? Um, and not only that, but um, you, uh, you've you already tried to trade for Tyreek Hill. You've sort of, you've, you've made that clear. You have draft capital um, out the wazoo. So make it work. Make it happen. Go get Debo Samuel. Get Zach Wilson some help. Yeah. There we go. Problem solved. What a strange situation it is, though. I, I, again, I don't, I don't know what's going on between Debo Samuel and the 49ers, but it seems like there's something there. Yeah, you know what? You know how serious I am about this, Gary. How serious? I'm, I'm just. We're talking, but I'm tweeting. I'm tweeting about this. The Jets, <laughs> the Jets should acquire Debo Samuel. I'm tweeting it. Got, gotta get it out now. Just gotta get it out now. What does optimism look like? I'm on a quest to find the people who inspire us to dream more and do more. I'm Simon Sinek, and I host a podcast called A Bit of Optimism. I talk to all sorts of people, from the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff to a hairdresser on Instagram who gives out free haircuts to the homeless, from the CEOs of the world's largest companies to the comedy writer who visited the wreckage of the Titanic. I love talking to leaders, artists, authors, and eccentrics about life, leadership, purpose, mental fitness, human skills, high performance, and other curious things. It leaves me feeling wiser, more inspired, and, well, more optimistic. Because after all, this is a bit of optimism. The world is full of magic and wonder, if you know where to look for it. Listen to a bit of optimism on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Black Information Network and six-time Emmy-nominated news anchor Vanessa Tyler welcome you to Blackland. A podcast about the ground on which the black community stands right now. From stories about salvation. And loss. They did not love themselves enough to know their HIV status, to not pass it on to me. To dreams achieved. Or still yet unfulfilled. From people who have made it. We started a hospital-based violence intervention program called the IV Project, and it stands for Interrupting Violence in Youth and Young Adults. To those who have been left behind. But no one talks about the survivors of the gun violence and the numbers rising because the gun violence has risen. Politically. Financially. Emotionally. Spiritually. This is where we are. This is Blackland. And one of the things that my father said to me before he passed away is like a, almost like a prophecy. He said that I would be helping men. Listen to Blackland on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Well, let's move on to A.J. Brown. I think there is a world where one year from now we are in agreement that A.J. Brown is the best receiver in football. I think he's in that class. Uh, He's obviously perfect for what the Titans do offensively, and I don't really know if there's any scenario here for the Titans where they don't just figure out a way to get him paid uh, and probably do it sooner rather than later. Yeah, the Titans are interesting because they, I think they realize how valuable A.J. Brown is, and and certainly Derrick Henry, um, 
uh, Derrick Henry is the focal point of that offense and, and makes a lot of things work. But even without him, I mean, we saw an extended sample size when he was down. A.J. Brown can just take over games. He's the perfect receiver for that kind of offense. I mean, the way that he runs certain routes, it's just it, everything is 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 perfect. And so and I would guess in the next year or two, you're going to be looking to break in a rookie quarterback or mm-hmm. you're bringing in a, a, a different veteran quarterback. I think Mike Vrabel uh, was not secretive about his um waning defensiveness let's call it uh that that's like a legal way to put it right yes. um of of ryan Tannehill, and so i think at some point there you're going to be breaking in a new passer i have uh, i've been taking desmond ritter in mmqb mock 4.0 so um nice. Nice. May, maybe that's the answer i don't know but either way you need a dominant wide receiver you need aj brown because you have to start thinking about holding on to assets right i mean john robinson is good at his job but you lose Derrick Henry at some point in the next year or two. Mm-hmm. Um, you're, you know, and then you can't also lose AJ Brown. I mean, that's it, man. I mean, AJ Brown is the focal point of this offense as soon as 2023. So you have to keep him in there. And uh, you know, it's funny. The strategy has been, you know, a lot of these teams saying, okay, well, we don't necessarily need to to pay wide receivers because the draft classes coming in are so, so good, and we can just go to round two and pick out our A.J. Brown or our Debo Samuel or whoever it is, but uh, there are, you know, the draft is the draft is a bit of a risk, and I think, you know, GMs sometimes lose track of that. I mean, you can certainly ask uh, Howie Roseman about the track record of of that team selecting receiver. you have jj arthago whiteside was in that same 2019 second round you have andy isabella uh paris campbell jalen hurd i mean those guys are other day two receivers who came off the board and obviously they are not going to they are not going to get their second contracts with their with their teams i mean look at ozzy newsome i mean arguably one of the greatest general managers of all time and could not draft a wide receiver to save his life, and tried many times. You know, it's a tough position. It's a it's a really tough position to project. And I think it's only gotten well. There was a, a window in there, especially. Um, uh, I was talking to uh, Ricky Prohl about this actually not too long ago. Um, there's like a, there was like a window in there, especially where, and it's changing now, but that they weren't changing um, sides of the field because they just wanted to run everything quick and they wanted to run everything with tempo. Yep. And, you know, it's so RPO heavy that these guys would just stand in one spot and run like the same two or three routes. And then you would learn your route tree basically in the time that you left college and into the pre-draft process. So there's a lot of stuff in there that, you know, we don't know how that's going to, how that's going to play out and how that's going to unfold. You know what Debo Samuel's going to do. Terry McLaurin is our next guy up here. It sounds like he will not hold out our, the early reports here, and he will be there with uh, you know Washington Commanders in their uh, off-season program and, and all that stuff. But uh, he is, I mean, gosh, the quarterback situation is so dicey in Washington. Uh, he becomes a guy who is so crucial to anything they're going to do offensively here. And again, I think in the same manner as A.J. Brown, I I just don't see a scenario where they can afford to let him out of there. 
Yeah, I mean, Terry McLaurin, it's funny, like, you talk about, like, leadership and, you know, uh, well, I don't want to say leadership. I don't want to equate leadership with, like, not getting your fair market value. So let me uh, let me back that up and not sound like uh, like Lou Holtz here for a second. <laughs> but, um, uh, you know, you talk about, I don't know, putting the team ahead of your own needs or whatever. That's a guy who could just show up and be like, this entire organization's a mess. You just traded a ton of capital for a one-year rental of Carson Wentz. Um, I'm the F out of here unless I'm getting $70 million a year, and they'd probably have to pay it. I mean, if he's gone, that offense is like, um, uh, gosh, it's like, um, well, you're older than me. You you have electric football, right? You, you you remember electric football? Yeah, I'm not that old though, but uh, sure. Well, my, yeah, everyone my, knows electric football. Yeah, my dad had an electric football set. I'm not saying that you're old enough to be my dad. <laughs> Although I guess well, could have worked out. That would that would have been a, would have been a wild time in high school. <laughs> um, how? Well, I'm not going to get into that. Um, but uh, <laughs> um, but you know how like you just put all the guys on the board and it would just be like, eh, yep. and then like everyone would just go to the sides of the board, right? And I think that's what Washington's offense would look like if you took Terry McLaurin out of the fold. You would go a whole lot of Wildcat, I think, is where you'd end up there. Jeez. DK Metcalf is the last guy we're going to talk about, with apologies to Deontay Johnson and Hollywood Brown, but... Uh, DK Metcalf's in an especially strange spot for a couple of reasons. Uh, obviously, the Seahawks are entering something of a mini rebuild here. You don't know who the quarterback's going to be. Uh, it's Drew Locke at the time of this taping. Do they draft someone next week? Uh, do they go and get Baker Mayfield? You know, we'll see. But DK Metcalf, it, you know, it, it would there would be some logic to moving him and trying to get some assets for the future, uh, even if you are going to end up downgrading the short term if you're the Seahawks at this point. The other thing with him is how much is he, I don't want to say a product of Russell Wilson, but Russell Wilson is the best deep ball thrower in the NFL. DK Metcalf is at his best, you know, on, on those sort of downfield moon balls. Uh, now that's gone, can you maximize his value right now in Seattle? Well, I think if you're any of these guys, right? I mean, if you're Debo Samuel, if you're DK Metcalf, any of these guys, I don't think it really matters. You're hot right now. It's a weird market. Like, you you get your money right now, right? And, and you're at that at that kind of cresting age where, you know, you're going to have to get the bag if you're going to get the bag. And I think for different reasons, Debo Samuel and DK Metcalf probably see that. I agree with you. Um, but then again, uh, Gary, we weren't making these kind of financial decisions at age 26 in our lives. So, you know, I think it's, it's a little bit difficult to project. I don't know. What were you, what were you talking about money wise at age 26? <sighs> Uh, the biggest decision was usually, uh, you know, you get the five for 595 at Arby's and then you have to figure out how over the next 48 to 72 hours you are going to space out your, uh, your Arby's sustenance at that point. Would you, would you not get cheese sauce so then the roast beef could be like a multi-platform kind of? That's, that's exactly what you do. Mm. I think the biggest financial decision, and I ended up not making it, but at age 26 was, uh, I love ice, just like 
you know, ice. Like <laughs> like, like like frozen water? I don't think frozen I've, water. Yeah. I don't think I've ever met an ice enthusiast. I just I love ice. Do you ever go to someone's house and they keep a lot of garlic in the fridge and their ice tastes weird? There's nothing worse than that. Like uh boy. There, yeah. Wow. I mean, there's, there's I never thought about of, it. Whole lot of science to this. But uh yeah, I mean, I was 26 and and not really making any money and uh so what I would do is I would just buy a bag of ice at the grocery store and I just had a I had a mini fridge so I couldn't fit any ice in there. And then I just like let the ice slowly melt in the sink over the course of like two days, and then Mm -hmm. I just have to go buy more ice. I mean, it was a dollar, so it wasn't that bad. Um, But you know, you're spending four dollars a week on ice. That's you know, you parse that out over the course of the year. So anyway, uh, like Williams and Sonoma or whatever, you know, they make like a really nice tabletop ice maker. And I was 26; it was two hundred dollars. I thought like. Okay, here we go. It's time to be an adult. But uh, I, I couldn't pull the trigger on it. It was, uh, uh, you know, it was it was far too much. God, what a tragic existence! Uh, uh, <laughs> an ice enthusiast without uh, without a freezer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it really. Uh, boy, when you become an adult, though, you feel like Kevin McAllister in Home Alone with his dad's credit card. Like once you finally earn like you know enough money to to live a sustainable existence yep. i think that's why i'll always be happy like you know you you feel that clink of ice in your glass and you're like yeah i got it today it's all right oh God. things okay oh man i Note i to I, everybody who's ever having me over have ice in your house yeah i i just feel like i've taken ice for granted you yeah yes 100 percent. um but yeah i mean these guys are, you know, they're in line for generational money. It's a lot of ice makers. It's a lot of, you know, slang term ice, you know, that you would uh, would be dealing with here. And so I think that they uh, they need to, uh, they all need to strike. I think they all know that, right? I mean, this has been similar, right? I think we've seen other markets where, I mean, at college coaches, for example, this past off season, you know, even if you weren't thinking about leaving, you left. Mm-hmm. Because the market was just bananas, Brian Kelly decided to go be Colonel Sanders uh, for ninety-five million dollars a year, and I think that's just what happens. If you see the market exploding around you, it's like, yeah, I want, I want to get out of here. And you know, the other thing I keep thinking about with Debo, in particular, and DK, if any of these guys actually get out um, before the season starts, because I think DK could move too. Yep. Um, is that the team is just going to be so invested in you because you're going to cost a lot with like the draft capital comp is set now. I mean, it's going to be a first round pick. Teams are invested in you. You're going to get the contract on the back end. Mm-hmm. That's a better life, man, than what you have right now, which is going to be fight, you know. It's like anything else. Leaving for another job, you know, you're always going to be more appreciated as the incoming person than the guy who's you know been grinding away at the same place and and dealing with the same person controlling the money for for years. Very true. Very true. What does optimism look like? I'm on a quest to find the people who inspire us to dream more and do more. I'm Simon Sinek, and I host a podcast called A Bit of Optimism. I talk to all sorts of people, from the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff to a hairdresser on Instagram who gives out free haircuts to the homeless. From the CEOs of the world's largest companies to the comedy writer who visited the wreckage of the Titanic, I love talking to leaders, artists, authors, and eccentrics about life, leadership, purpose, mental fitness, human skills, high performance, and other curious things. It leaves me feeling wiser, more inspired, and, well, more optimistic. 
Because after all, this is a bit of optimism. The world is full of magic and wonder, if you know where to look for it. Listen to a bit of optimism on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Black Information Network and six-time Emmy-nominated news anchor Vanessa Tyler welcome you to Blackland. A podcast about the ground on which the black community stands right now. From stories about salvation and loss. They did not love themselves enough to know their HIV status to not pass it on to me. To dreams achieved. Or still yet unfulfilled. From people who have made it. We started a hospital-based violence intervention program called the IV Project. And it stands for interrupting violence in youth and young adults. To those who have been left behind. But no one talks about the survivors of the gun violence and the numbers rising because the gun violence has risen. Politically. Financially. Emotionally. Spiritually. This is where we are. This is Blackland. And one of the things that my father said to me before he passed away, it's like almost like a prophecy. He said that I would be helping men. Listen to Blackland on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, Connor, it's time for our final installment of the draft position previews. Uh, We are going to have our mock draft show two-parter coming out next week. We'll have an episode on Monday and another one on Wednesday in which we will project the first picks, not just the first round. Not everyone has a first round pick, but the first picks for all 32 teams. Uh, Mm -hmm. We are talking back seven defenders right now. We're going to do a couple linebackers. Uh, a couple of cornerbacks, and then a couple of safeties here. But we'll start with the linebackers, and uh, I'll start off with the N'Kobe Dean, the uh, the Georgia linebacker here, one of the Georgia linebackers, one of the, I don't know, 78 Georgia products who will be drafted <laughs> uh, in the first two days of this draft. But uh, Dean is, you know, undersized. I mean, you're going to have to cover him up to an extent, but... Uh, incredibly fast incredibly instinctive which maximizes that speed uh i mean this is you know it's roquan smith type stuff and and i'm saying that in part because it's the same alma mater but uh i just feel like this is a guy you you plug in this is this is the linebacker for this generation this is the kind of guy you want and not to mention i mean he really earned a reputation at georgia as being just one of the alphas one of the one of the true leaders of that national championship defense i've never heard you uh reference like a non-measurable trait before this is very interesting never heard you like describe anyone as a leader this is very exciting yeah yeah only him only nicobe dean i will not follow (laughs) anyone else um, so one of the things I went looking for when I was doing my mock draft and I was watching some tape on Nicobe Dean was I wanted to see what do you do independent of that defensive line, right? Because I think that would be my overall concern. And I think that one of the things, you know, you and I worked on together, it was your idea, the great story about uh, the surge of off-ball linebackers, and we had featured the Buccaneers, um, uh, Levante David and Devin White. Um, you know, I think... Part of that, their success, and Todd Bowles said this when I talked to him, is, you know, Vita Vea and Indomitian Sue, right? And yep, yep. They, they clear out paths for them to be mobile and versatile. And so, you know, I was watching Nicobe Dean and saying, okay, well, what, what are you doing independent of that? And there was this one play that stood out where he's filling a gap, and even though he's small— he can tell that the running back's coming right behind this like gigantic offensive lineman. There's a fullback in there and he kind of just like matrixes his way, like 
like around like two defenders, slips around them, and then makes the tackle. So he's technically double teamed there, and uh, and it doesn't matter, and he makes the tackle. And so yes, that is an extremely small sample size. I can feel your teeth gritting uh, as I'm saying this, but um, you know to know that he is capable of that, uh, I think um, you know makes a lot of sense. I mean, I, I could see him as a as a first round pick. And I think I have him mocked as a first-round pick. There you go. Uh, the next guy here at linebacker, this is Utah's Devin Lloyd, who uh, bigger bigger than Dean uh, goes, uh, you know, closer to, to two forty here. You know, it's six two or so. Uh, he does a little bit of everything. The the two things that worry me about Lloyd because he's going to play the run well, very instinctive. Uh, he gets to where he needs to be there. I think he is a better blitzer than he is in mm-hmm. coverage. I don't think he's necessarily a liability in coverage, but I don't know if you are going to trust him to match up in man coverage with a lot of the better, uh, you know, pass catching running backs in the league. And, and I don't know how much that limits you. And, and we've talked about this uh, ad nauseum. We'll, we'll continue to talk about it for, I don't know, the rest of our, our lives or at least the next year or so when, when the cycle changes, but Teams don't blitz as much. So do you take him, do you take a guy whose third down skill set, again, I don't want to overstate it. It's it's not liability in coverage, but he's a better blitzer. He's a really good blitzer. He's okay in coverage, I think. But how much does that really good blitzing ability matter uh, in 2022? Yeah, I mean, you'd have to find the right fit, right? You'd, you'd have to think that, you know, the... And, and that's what's hard, right? I, I had him connected to the Patriots in my mock draft, but I don't think he's a Belichick player. I don't think he covers well enough to be a Belichick player. Um, and, you know, he's just busy beating up on all these crap schools like Ohio State. But um, <laughs> uh, just kidding. But, uh, uh, you know, I think that uh, you're right. I mean, you'd have to find like a Ravens, maybe Wink Martindale's with the Giants. Um, uh, Ron Rivera still likes that. Uh, he told me recently 33 33 33 man zone pressure right and so you're gonna have to find one of those teams and there's just a lot less of them now like there's only like six you know which is which is crazy to me now some of that is opponent dependent right so we could see if you have a year now where there's like three or four rookies that maybe aren't very good that are coming into play you could see the blitz rate go up again, but not in a sustainable way. I mean, I think it's going to be down for quite some time. The other guy among linebackers I want to talk about real quick is Quay Walker, another Georgia guy. And he, he, I don't want to say Nicobe Dean doesn't look the part because Nicobe Dean does look the part uh, in 2022 here. But if you're looking for the sort of classic uh, inside linebacker, that's, that's more Walker. Who's like six, four to 40. Uh, I think the uh, the issue. I, I love how I'm just. There are two Georgia guys I just ding for this, and it's uh, completely unfair and completely. You just, <laughs> just hate Kirby uneven. Smart. It's no, I dinged uh, Devonte Wyatt during the defensive line show. Where it's like, oh, how much of this is just you, you play alongside Jordan Davis, so you can go wherever you want. Uh, but I do wonder how much of what Walker did was kind of a result of of playing behind Jordan Davis and playing next to Nakobe Dean. Uh, I do think he's a a borderline, border, excuse me, borderline 
first-round prospect, but uh, he does not get around the field as well as Dean does. However, you do... You don't want to fall in love with the measurables, but, like, yeah, the measurables sort of matter to an extent. Uh, you know, you, you have the length to stack and shed blocks. You uh, uh, get into passing lanes, things like that. I, I think he is certainly has the upside to be a, a star linebacker in this league. It's just a question of does he does he get there? Yeah. Um, I it, it was Trayvon Walker, right? But Pro Football Focus had the um, the stat that 50% of his pressures um, came uh, by virtue of somebody else doing the work, basically, which is stunning, right? I mean, you had guys that are doing 19% of that. And so I, I think that there's, with Quay Walker, with any of these guys, I think that there's an element of that that has to be parsed out. And what's interesting to me is like Trey Hendrickson, I know I've brought this up on the show, was very, very high in that metric while he's with the Saints. And I talked to Duke Tobin about this. He's like, yeah, but we have to isolate the times where we can isolate it. And mm -hmm. when we did, he seemed like a great guy, you know, and they were right. He's a $30 million a year pass rusher. They're paying half of that uh, but for that reason. And uh, so Quay Walker, but anybody that you draft from here, you're really going to have to separate. And, Walker is big. He's physical. I think he he does what you want him to do, uh, especially against the run. I mean, takes on like bigger offensive linemen, but I, I think he might be a little bit of a liability in the pass too. You know, I you know I, I think he can catch up to most college tight ends, but I think that uh, it's basically a tight end all star game at the next level. So yeah, yeah. Let's go on to the cornerbacks here, and we're going to start with uh, with Ahmad Sauce Gardner out of Cincinnati. And yeah, there's there's something of a level of competition concern with Gardner, although Alabama didn't put the ball anywhere near him uh, in their matchup. And on top of that, just really, we talk about Seattle style corners, and you know, do they meet these? Uh, do they meet these thresholds? What's the arm length, stuff like that? He meets all that stuff, but he moves in a different way than big corners. I mean, this this guy, what, he was uh, 6'2 and a half at the combine. Uh, he's got 33-inch arms. Just usually that's a guy who doesn't, you know, have the ability to sort of redirect as well as your, you know, six-foot dude who is, uh, you know, maybe has some, some, uh, some other concerns. But it's really difficult to find a flaw in his game at this point. You know who he reminds me of? Um, not as a player comp, but a mystique comp. Do you like this? I'm, I'm making a yes, mystique, mystique, a mystique comps are my comparison. favorite comps. Yeah. Uh, who, who do you, th do you have a guess? Uh, mystique comp would be, I don't have a guess. Namdi Asamoa, <laughs> right? Like, do you remember like, Namdi Asamoah kind of coming out of the blue, like, and this is before we had pro football focus and maybe before we watched football as intelligently as we did mm -hmm. um, a couple years ago. But, like, all of a sudden, like, that stat emerged, like, midway through the season before he went to the Eagles where it was like, holy shit, nobody's thrown at this guy in, like, eight years? Like, yeah. you know, that's crazy. And, uh, you know, I think Ahmad Gardner is one of those guys. But you're right. I mean, he covers so much ground so quickly. Um, he's incredibly athletic. I thought, um, you know, with Alabama avoiding him, like I thought it was funny that Notre Dame decided not to, and 
paid dearly for it. I think he had a goal line interception in that game, if I uh, remember correctly. And uh, uh, yeah, I mean, physical in the running game, not afraid to take on blocks. Like he's just like, it's almost like a college cam chancellor's body with like a, you know, with like a Richard Sherman covering ability. It's yeah. really interesting. You know, it's just funny. it's like 12, 15 years ago. I feel like a lot of in the same way they did with Asimov. I, I shouldn't say a lot, but I feel like a lot of folks would have looked at just his body type and said, I don't know if this is a cornerback here. <laughs> like, yeah, I, I think he's a safety. Uh, yeah. But he moves like a cornerback. He's just super, super long. And you could draft him. I mean, you know, listen, we can't plan anything 10 years down the line, 10 years down the line. I could be living back alone in my apartment with a whole counter full of ice makers. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but you know, you could draft him with the idea that you could one day avoid the Revis drop off. Right. And you could project him to safety. Next guy here, Derek Stingley out of LSU. And this will be the, the best conversation here because it's just a bunch of hypotheticals and, and guesswork. But a couple years ago when LSU won the national title game, if you saw Derek Stingley, you would have said, well, this guy is not just the best cornerback in college football. He is a potential number one overall pick when he comes out, when he's eligible, because he's a true freshman at that point. He still had to play uh, two more seasons at LSU. So he plays the two more seasons. LSU kind of has this collapse as a program. Uh, they end up moving on from the coach, and Stingley just misses a lot of time. And I think that's the number one issue is like, okay, well, durability. Like, you know, is he going to be injury prone at the next level? But I also wonder how much of this is the fact that he gets there as a true freshman. He establishes himself as the best player at his position in the country. He wins a national title. And now he has to bide his time for two more years and basically yep. not suffer a catastrophic injury. How much of this was just kind of him protecting himself? And again, that's guesswork on our part. But, you know, I I can't necessarily hold it against him for not wanting to, uh, I don't know, go out there and play in the, uh, uh, gosh, what's a... What's a great, you know, whatever the the Bitcoin, uh, I don't know, Arby's Bowl or or whatever LSU ended up in. Yeah, I'm trying to think of like, uh, uh, I'm trying to think of like a really good like like the Calgon Bowl or something. Yeah, like that, there's you know? there were a lot of dot coms that came up at some point. There was, uh, of course, the Papa John's dot com bowl. University of Connecticut uh, champions one year of the Papa John's dot com bowl. So. Pets.com bowl. Yeah. Remember pets.com? Yeah. Oh, yeah. What does optimism look like? I'm on a quest to find the people who inspire us to dream more and do more. I'm Simon Sinek, and I host a podcast called A Bit of Optimism. I talk to all sorts of people, from the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff to a hairdresser on Instagram who gives out free haircuts to the homeless. From the CEOs of the world's largest companies to the comedy writer who visited the wreckage of the Titanic, I love talking to leaders, artists, authors, and eccentrics about life, leadership, purpose, mental fitness, human skills, high performance, and other curious things. It leaves me feeling wiser, more inspired, and, well, more optimistic. Because after all, this is a bit of optimism. The world is full of magic and wonder, if you know where to look for it. Listen to a bit of optimism on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
the Black Information Network and six-time Emmy-nominated news anchor Vanessa Tyler welcome you to Blackland. A podcast about the ground on which the Black community stands right now. From stories about salvation and loss. They did not love themselves enough to know their HIV status to not pass it on to me. To dreams achieved. Or still yet unfulfilled. From people who have made it. We started a hospital-based violence intervention program called the IV Project, and it stands for Interrupting Violence in Youth and Young Adults. To those who have been left behind. But no one talks about the survivors of the gun violence, and the number is rising because the gun violence has risen. Politically. Financially. Emotionally. Spiritually. This is where we are. This is Blackland. And one of the things that my father said to me before he passed away, it's like a, almost like a prophecy. He said that I would be helping men. Listen to Blackland on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, the other cornerback I want to touch on here is Trent McDuffie out of Washington, who, I don't know, it, it gets kind of stale after a while because literally every one of these Washington guys who comes out is undersized, but... <laughs> but really, uh, uh, really gritty and, uh, you know, just they they just play at such a, a higher level than you'd think by just uh, going on the eye test here. McDuffie is I mean, look, he, he's, uh, you know, what, five, ten and a half here. I'm reading the combine measurements, uh, five, ten and a half, uh, twenty nine and three quarters for arm length. Uh, it's a little bit problematic, but you can certainly play him inside he's incredibly competitive so yeah you could probably get a uh, get away with him playing outside too but uh, you know he's just whatever you're not going to put him on a 6-3 receiver and expect him to uh, to hold up there uh, on top of that he can play inside because he's incredibly physical uh, as a tackler so you know you trust him in run support uh, it's just uh, it's going to be a problem with some matchups and I wonder if it becomes a bigger problem as more and more teams seem to be going with their uh, uh, big slot receivers here or moving their number one receiver inside to take advantage of some of these uh, size matchups. Yeah, I mean, I viewed him, I had him as a late first round pick. I mean, I view him as sort of, he's your finisher, right? Like if you're the Bills, for example, like you take him because you literally don't have needs anywhere else. And he puts you in a position where like, you know, you're matching of third or fourth wide receiver more adequately than anybody else is matching like a second receiver in the NFL. You know, I think that's really what you would do at the end of the day with him. That said, I mean, you know, incredibly gifted player, like, you know, it just seems like, and so smooth. It was just like, his anticipatory skills are really good. His breaking skills are really good. You know, so those, um, you know, those 10 yard outs to the sidelines or whatever, you know, he's going to be in on all that kind of stuff. Um, but you know, you, you worry about the size a little bit, but I, I think if you have the right setup, really what you're hoping from your cornerbacks at best is to extend the quarterback's time in the pocket by like a quarter of a second. And I think he can do that talking about two safeties before we wrap up here uh kyle hamilton obviously uh, you know top five pick potentially uh i guess it's a two-part question here number one do you consider safety a premium position uh in the nfl now we've seen teams that use safeties well uh really get a lot of value out of them there are also a lot of teams that don't use safeties very well so it's kind of like well you're not gonna spend an early pick on one uh, then, but Hamilton incredibly uh, versatile here, and again, uh, you don't want to go nuts with measurables, but 
when you're six four and you have thirty three inch arms, uh, and you are as instinctive as he is, you just sort of get to places on the field. You get your hands on passes that other guys uh, can't get their hands on. So just phenomenal range. Obviously, a, a really physical player as well. Uh, you know, you could probably play him some snaps at linebacker if you really wanted to. But uh, yeah, I you know, is it, it, the team that drafts him going to find the right way to use him? Yeah, I mean, I would argue that. You know, there there is a I had a, I think going to the Vikings, um, and I think the the reason for that is, you know, you could say that safety is not a premium position, but I really think you'd be suffering from a lack of premium coaching, right? Yep. I mean, I think Todd Bowles certainly used the safety position really well when he was with the Jets, um, and I would say that um, uh, Pete Carroll hasn't really uh, lately, um, but. The Bills have made up for or have bolstered their cornerback play via the safety position for years, you know, mm-hmm. and with two players that quite honestly, you know, well, they haven't made the Pro Bowl until this year, but didn't have any accolades before really coming to Buffalo. And so um, I would say that any player that you draft certainly uh, is a reflection of your coaching staff and, and not really the other way around. But um, Kyle Hamilton is just you know, I think you have to look at it from a, of a traits perspective. It's like, who else is this size and can do all these things? And, and you make it work. You find a spot. I mean, the Chiefs put Tyran Matthew everywhere. And I think that you could uh, that you could have a similar kind of vibe with Kyle Hamilton. The other guy I want to talk about is Daxton Hill, who I, I just, he reminds me so much of, of Malcolm Jenkins coming out of Ohio State here. I know part of that's just the, the Big Ten connection here. But uh, the Michigan guy, he's, you know, he's going to play that overhang spot. Uh, you can play him over the slot. I think he can hang with a lot of receivers there. Uh, probably more of a probably more of a split safety type of guy if you're going to play him uh, play him back as opposed to a single high guy, though no one really plays single high anymore anyway. I shouldn't say no one, but uh, that is that is not the, None cool, of the cool kids. Yeah, not yeah. the cool defense anymore. You're going to get pointed and laughed at if you try and play some single high stuff in 2022. So he, you know, he fits in there. It, it's just, again, is this what you consider a uh, a premium role on your team. I think that's the only reason you wouldn't take him in the first round. But uh gosh, it just seems it just seems like he's going to be a really good player for a long time. Wonder if like if he's available for the Ravens at some point, you know, like he's just such a great blitzer. You know, he's so he's more than adequate coming off the line, but it's just everywhere, you know. Um mm-hmm. and play, plays the run really well too. Um and it's just that aggressive like forceful at the line type of presence that, um, again, not everybody wants, right? But if you like the idea of your safeties kind of coming into the backfield and penetrating and being a part of that quarterback disruption process, if you run a lot of simulated pressure stuff, like I think Daxton Hill is, is a safety that you'd have to consider. That's a wrap for the show, Connor. We have, I believe, the first mock draft in NFL media history coming up in our next show yeah we're gonna try something new it's called a mock draft um or, or seriously though our, our former colleague paul zimmerman the great late mm-hmm. great paul zimmerman claims to have invented the mock draft um and with the first one appearing in the pages of the new york post back in the 1970s which would be really kind of cool fun to go back and look at that i like that you're a mock draft historian and i like you even better now that i know you're you're an ice enthusiast Ice enthusiast, enthusiast. Mock draft historian, Gary mm-hmm. fan, 
It's all there. The MMQB NFL podcast is Connor Orr and me, Gary Gramling. We are produced by Shelby Royston. SI's executive producer of podcasts is Scott Brody, and our senior podcast producer is Dan Bloom. Mark Ravick is emeritus editor of the MMQB. Super Bowl champion Andy Benoit is the founder of the MMQB NFL podcast. Be sure to subscribe to this feed on Apple Podcasts, and once you do, please leave a rating and review because it really does help other people find the show, which is also available on Spotify, Stitcher, SI.com, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. The world is full of magic and wonder, if you know where to look. And I'm obsessed with looking for it. I'm Simon Sinek, and I host a podcast called A Bit of Optimism. Each week, I have a short conversation with someone who inspires me or teaches me something about life, leadership, and other curious things. I hope you'll join me on the journey. Listen to A Bit of Optimism on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Julian Edelman from Games With Names, and we're on a search to find the greatest games of all time with the players and coaches who lived in them. Ever wonder what a locker room feels like at a halftime of a Super Bowl? Or what about the the after parties? We're going to dive deep into the most iconic games with the most iconic people. New episodes dropping weekly. Listen to Games With Names on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Black Information Network and six-time Emmy-nominated news anchor Vanessa Tyler welcome you to Blackland. A podcast about the ground on which the black community stands right now. From stories about salvation and loss. I loved a person who had an HIV diagnosis. To dreams achieved. Or yet unfulfilled. From people who have made it. I sat down with a therapist and I began my journey. To those left behind. Listen to Blackland on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Nazi V-2 was a rocket-powered bomb traveling faster than the speed of sound. You couldn't hear it coming. A technological miracle, but a military and economic disaster for Nazi Germany. How did the V-2 come into existence, and why were so many of the people it hurt not the people you might expect? Join me, Tim Harford, host of Cautionary Tales, for my gripping mini-series on the V-2 rocket, available now. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey there, fellow 20-somethings. It's your girl, Sydney Winter. And guess what? The wait is finally over. Season four of Crying in Public is here, and I'm flying solo for the very first time. That's right. No co-host to rein me in. Just me, myself, and the mic. From relationships to careers and all the awkward encounters in between, we're covering it all. So mark your calendars and set your reminders because Crying in Public is dropping its juiciest season yet. Listen to the new season of Crying in Public on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.